Blog Talk Radio. Yes, 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 yes. Okay. We in it, we in it, we in it. Hold on one second. Yo, Reg, un... Yo, Reggie, unmute yourself. <laughs> All right. All right. I'm good. Cool beans. Yo, yo, so we, um, like I said, we living in the times of the Rona, so we doing our check-in. Gypsy, how you doing, bro? Oh man, I am wonderful. I am wonderful. You, I am laughing. You want to leave your wife yet? You want to leave your wife yet? I heard relationships are breaking up. I'm just checking on the fam. Um, as of today, and no, she's listening. But, you know, you know she's listening. <laughs> you know she's listening. <laughs> she may, 
She made, she made she made a dinner, so I guess I'm gonna stick around. <laughs> well, let's just see if you were live after dinner. You know, some of them meals might be the last one. You've been acting up. Yeah, cause she been watching memes that say, you know, take out your take out your spouse and blame it on the Rona. Mm-mm. If you know, like I know, I'm honoring. I hunt you. <laughs> don't 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 eat the red gravy, brother. Right, 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 right. <laughs> oh, oh. I told y'all this was gonna be one of the shows. Me and Jitsy are bad by ourselves. Reg is uh let's put it this way, he's one of the most brilliant brothers I know, but he can you'll you find know, out. You know like two you know, you know like two dudes, man. <laughs> <laughs> so how you doing, Red? In this time of what we call oh. the time of the Rona, of oh, the Rona? Oh man, I'm you know yes. I'm, I'm good, man. You know, um, come saying, you know, uh, everything here. You know, I've been up in my house for a while. You know, go out when I have to. Uh, luckily, you know, I got I got three of my four children here. They're healthy, and you know, my wife is here. Um, and it's good, man. And we're doing work together. It's it's it's, it's been a good. Um, there have been good things to come out of this of this harrowing moment, you know. Yeah. So, have you experienced any of what they've been talking about, like the relationship stress and all that kind of stuff, by being around your family too much? You know, not. You know, I mean, it's it's always that bit of tension that, that's going on when people. Uh, feel like they're a little bit trapped, you know. Um, but but we haven't really been at each other's throats, you know. Uh, my wife and I, we've been been fine. There, you know, my children, they've been good. You know, my my oldest, uh, well, my second oldest girl, she's moving out, right? So she's moving out in July, and so she's got that whole adventure ahead of her. You know, uh, my son and I, my oldest son and I, we've been taking time to sort of you know do some home repair stuff together and, and have conversations. Um, I've been I've been you know doing my best to look out for for uh, places that might be or situations that might might uh, be tension inducing and do my best to sort of you know ameliorate that stuff you know yeah. uh, to sort of keep a lid on things and to provide for people what they what they sort of need you know a little extra ice cream here a little make a few biscuits there you know what I mean <laughs> just to keep people I, I, to keep are people you still cool. making your perfect grits. Hey man, yeah man. You know I throw I throw some grits. My twenty two minute grits. Yeah, and uh, I do my that's, grits. That's our inside and, you know, thing. Look, <laughs> right. <laughs> you know. Ray sat me down. This is you how know, you make the perfect grits. How you do it, man? That five minute stuff. I mean, it'll do in a pinch, but you don't really want to mess with that. You know, take the time. You know, and do it right. You know. Yes, sir. Well, that's good, man. Um, me on my end. I'm cool because yeah. you know I am part I'm part time, uh, single, part time single father because you know I got my kids seven days on seven days off. But you right. know, um, me and my kids have always been road dogs. You know what I'm saying? So it's like right. the only time they get on my nerves is when they don't clean up and the house looks terrible. Right. But as long as the house is cool, I love them. And when the house don't look cool, I want to put them on the corner <laughs> and let somebody take them. But other than that. <laughs> uh, find, find, find that, that kid's Craigslist, huh? Like, yeah, like, um, like old we call it, right? <laughs> yeah, we call it dumpster adoption. 
you know, tie him up with some duct tape by the dumpster and just let him sit there, you know, and then, you know, that'd be that, you know. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know. But yeah, man. So and those, you know, my, my, kid, my kids, my kids make me slap my head every now and then. And for those of you who are dumpster babies, you can write to... <laughs> 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 yeah, but but other than that, man, like <clears throat> I've been in my space. I've finished a book of poetry. I'm working on another one. I finally tightened up a book on relationships. Um, it's like ah. how to win friends and meet people. Um, meets um, meets uh, relationships. And then um, I have another book I'm working on of spiritual of a spiritual relationships called Jesus Web and. Yeah, man, and then um, um, something that Jitsi got me wor- working on called the Book of Boogie, and it's just a, a bunch of my sayings <laughs> and philosophies. Oh, dear. <laughs> that, that he got to, I'm a, that's from the Book of Boogie, and my, he got my dumb butt doing it. So, yeah, man, so I've been good. <laughs> I, I, I've taken up Reiki. I've done, learned, working on emotional healing, uh, doing aromatherapy and homeopathic stuff, so. I, I mean, I, like I said, man, I, sometimes I feel bad that I feel so good during this time. But, you know, as a writer, you're a part-time yeah. loner anyway because you, you, need, you need that time to experience and process and write and, 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 and work with yourself. So this is, this is like an extended writer's retreat for me. You know, and yeah, I'm really not. You know, I, I love what you just said, you know, about, about like you, aromatherapy and everything and like making things a, a full sensory experience, you know, that – that aromatherapy, you know, that, that you know, like the, the stuff that smell, smell yourself well, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, man. Um, <laughs> I, I, I got, um, I got humidify. I mean, um, the little, I forgot what they call them. The things that, you know, um, diffuser, or the burn atomizer or the diffusers. Uh, the diffuser. Yeah. Diffuser. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. So now, um, I started a collection of, um, essential oil so one day you might be burning lavender one day you might be burning peppermint whatever whatever feeling i'm in or what i'm doing um i actually bought a book by a phd and i actually have recipes that help you with like depression anxiety all that kind of stuff mm-hmm. so yeah i'm just I'm basically i'm experimenting on my kids too so you know if it don't work <laughs> out and one of my kids disappear you know what happened yeah <laughs> So, yeah. so yeah, man. But that's I won't it. know. But I won't know, but I'll highly suspect. Yes, but let's 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 get into the to the meat and guts of the show, and then um, because we sure. got I didn't do the introduction. Welcome to TMC Radio, the next chapter where we will always be diving into open, in-depth conversations about dreams, determination, and dedication, and the journey taken to realize them. Focusing on transitioning from one level to another and recognizing when and how to move to the next chapter. Tonight you have your your host, A Town and Gypsy Star. And then we have today with us poet, songwriter, author, workshop facilitator, and educator Reggie Gibson. He's performed all over the place. He's taught, he lectured. He's a national slam champion. If you saw Love Jones, that was about him. He was in the movie. Um, Brother to the Night is half the poem. That's not the whole poem. He's going to do some work for us tonight. Um, he's been on venues on two continents in the seven countries, including Cuba. And you're a bad brother if you can go to Cuba and they let you back in because, you know, they're you know, they still trying to get a SADA. 
So <laughs> yeah, that's for real. That's for real. So um, you know, he's worked with Gwendolyn Books. I'm still jealous about that one. Roy Ayers for Reed Hawk. Kurt Vonnegut, which is another dope one. He is a great speaker. Um, the monks of the um. You, you, man, oh, you ain't got to read all of it, brother. Shit. You ain't got to read all of it. Yeah. You ain't got to read uh, all of it. I know, man. but, you know, I just like doing that. And then the, the main <laughs> one I, I got to say is, though, Reggie Gaines, Savian Glover, and um, and um, the last poets and Dick Gregory. And I'm saying that because one year we did what was called Poetry in the Woods. And yeah. we, used to, we, take, um, we would take a van from Detroit down to Idlewild, Michigan. So one year it was me, Reggie, Reggie Gaines, the last poet, and Dick Gregory all in the same van riding down there. Right. And me, Reggie, and Reggie were just in the back like little kids, like listening as they were just talking about stuff. <laughs> and I think it was Reggie Gaines, like, ain't it a trip that we in the back of a van listening to the last poets? And Dick Gregory talk about what they were doing like back in the day, like stuff we only read about. So yeah, yeah, so Reggie's been around and on top of it, he's my brother and he's my friend. And so he's going to add insight. And for all those who thought that, you know, he might save the show from ignorance and, 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 and some idiocy, you're wrong. He's brilliant, <laughs> but he ain't the savior. So it's still going to be a lot of that. Um, and oh, you got to yeah. give the disclaimer. I got to give a disclaimer. Nothing Gypsy says is the view of the Hour Radio Network, TNC Radio, <laughs> or maybe anybody else on the planet. There are his views and his alone. Do not call talking about what he said. You can call in. The number is 646 668 2574. And to all my people, don't be texting me talking about the show was going good. Call in and talk. Ask the question. You know our rule, though. You don't have to agree with us. You can disagree, but you have to be factual and you have to be re- have to have reason to it. If you call up saying you want the world to be purple just because you want it to, we're going to hang up on you. We don't deal with no stupidity. As long as you have a valid argument, we'll listen, even if we don't agree with it. If you call up on some mess, we will hang up and then clown you, and we will not allow you to call back in to defend yourself. <laughs> so that's just the way it is. So <laughs> I feel like in the words of any pro- questions. In, in the words of Professor Griff, on uh, at the beginning of uh, it takes the nations of millions to hold us back. Consider yourselves warned. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> So um, for, the, for the topic of the day, and I know we touched on it a little bit before, but we got to go back to it. Um, and it's the brother who got gunned down. And um, is, was it, uh, is Aubrey? You might have, you might have to specify, brother. Yeah, yeah that's um, <laughs> the, one, the one who they got the um, basically <laughs> all of yeah. The one who, um, and I forgot his name because it, it bugs me so much. I think it's a Freudian slip, like I forget it on purpose. It was a brother whose um, death was videotaped, his murder was videotaped because he was jogging and they followed him and they ended up shooting him down. And then they ne- the, two, the two white men who did it never went to, um, were never prosecuted until 
or even mentioned until the tape came out. Yeah. And I'm sorry, Aubrey, I forgot. His... I can tell you in yeah. a sec. Brother's name is Aubrey. Yeah, that was, um, uh, the cat, the cat, the cat who got killed in, in Georgia. He talking about the brother. Uh, yeah. The brother who who got killed in Georgia, uh, Arbery. I remember yeah. his first yeah. name. His last name is Arbery. Ahmad, I, remember like that. Ahmad uh, Arbery. I think it's Ahmad Ahmad Arbery. Yeah. Ahmad Arbery. Yeah. yeah. Ahmad Arbery. And, and and it's no no offense to him. It's sometimes being conscious and black. Sometimes I forget stuff to keep from being enraged and losing my mind. And when I think yeah. about that stuff, um, it it just pisses me totally off. So. I'm going to save my opinion for last because I'm probably going to get ignorant. So, you know, <laughs> Gypsy, you know, what what are your views nope, about it, man? Nope, and nope, nope, not, nope. You're not going nope. first? That means you got to nope. go first, Reg. You, you, you <laughs> nope. We're putting you out first. So, um, and so this whole show is about bro. going to the um, – the, 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 the show is always about going to the next chapter, so – we don't just like right. to vent about stuff. We also like to talk about what we can do to get to the next chapter. And then not necessarily, you know, we talk about in our lifetime, but we talk about planting the seeds that eventually right. we will get to where we need to. So how did this hit you as a brother? How do you feel about, you know, people's reaction to it and thoughts about what's next? Oh, man. Um well, it's enraging, um, and I think James Baldwin. I'm going to paraphrase him. He he said it, you know, back in the '60s. He said, "To be a black man, to be a black man in this country, is to constantly live in a in a state of repressed rage." You know, and um, you know, it's it's a difficult thing um, to do this. Speaking about the idea of legacy, it's like that's been bequeathed unto us. And, um, you know, there are things that, that because of things like this that keep happening, we, we, you know, we have to arm our, our young boys in particular uh, with some advice about how to get to the next chapter, about how, how to, to not become a victim of a, of a, of a society that, that perpetually sees them as, as threat, Right. And every time this happens, you know, it, it, it's just a further reminder of of how far this country has to go in um, in righting its wrongs. Uh, unfortunately, it's it's such a reminder of how far it refuses to go to right its wrongs. Um, some some months ago, I had written a piece to my uh, that was in. The, Basically brought together, you know, from from things of black men that I had collected, sayings from black men I had collected, and what to pass on to young black men who are coming up in our wake, and some advice, you know, some things my father talked to me about, some things you and I, brother, have talked about, and uh, and I wrote the, you know, a piece, uh, and it was just basically called from old heads to young bloods, advice from black men to those who will be, you know. And uh, maybe at some point I can I can you know read read that you know um, but as I said it's it's enraging and and it, it makes you know uh, the idea of legacy of what we need to hand down to our young people to keep them basically you know from out of the lion's mouth as I like to say it's a difficult thing man to keep on having to be reminded 
that that you're not um, seen with with as fully human. Definitely, Gypsy. Thoughts. I like to quote another brother from uh, the civil rights era, brother by the name of. Malik Shabazz. He was in a speech and he was talking about uh, then Cassius Clay, a.k.a. Muhammad Ali. And he talked about the whole uh, idea of the marches and this, that, and the third. And he said, you know, y'all marching and sitting in talking about we shall overcome all over the place. He said, nah, you can't sing up on freedom. You got to swing up on free. And I say that to say this. Every, how should I say this, RBG hotep ass nigga wants to run around here talking about you know, oh, and, you know, the black nation and this, that, and the other. Let me tell you something that a nation needs. It needs an economic structure. It needs education. And one thing that we as a people don't really want to face, a nation needs a fucking military. Now, I'm not an eye-for-an-eye type of cat, but when you know that economics, you can shut down shit economically and do so. The powers that be, quote, the quote unquote powers that be, listen. If they think that you're going to go toe to toe with them and ain't going to back down, and it ain't like over in uh, where you see them brothers in the motherland with, with just throwing rocks and shit, and then Soweto, oh no. No, you coming in there with armed resistance, same as your meeting, it evens the playing field, whether one shot is fired or not. We have to get out of this whole thing of this legacy of victimhood. Mm-hmm. And one of the ways we get out of that legacy is look at what it takes to build a nation. If you go back to the to the uh, organization that that brother was in, the Nation of Islam, say what you want to, but they controlled their economics, and they also had a military. That's what the fruit of Islam was. Now, I'm not saying become a Muslim or join the nation or anything like that. Because they ain't shooting and killing brothers because they black, uh, because they are, uh, because of their religious affiliation. But we have to learn how to defend ourselves and keep ourselves in check at all costs. Because at this point in time, we pass, we shall overcome, and marching. We tried it yeah. that way. That's where I'm at. Yeah. Um oh man, this 
Oh yes, this right here. Um, and this is this this is on the people who did it, and also on us as a people. You know, um, to those who hmm. did it, um, I don't know who had the original saying, but I read it in Soledad Brother with George Jackson. He said, you know, um, when you make peaceful change impossible, you make violent confrontation inevitable. Um, mm-hmm. and, and I think we're at that point where, I mean, I hate to say it, you know, a lot of us are afraid to die. And we're afraid of paying the cost for our freedom. And I remember one conversation we had and it was when I was in the Boston area. And everybody was talking about, like, well, you're going to do this and they're going to kill you. And they're going to do this and you kill you. Like, how do we get our freedom? And one of the mentors came in. He said, y'all talking about death like it's an option. He said, last time I checked, ain't nobody ever got out of life alive. The only thing you're talking about is messing with the timetable. And everybody got real quiet. And then there's a movie called Colombo, and it's about a maroon colony in South America where they took over and started up, you know, literally their culture and their heritage in the hills, and they beat up on the Portuguese, I think something like 40, 80 years. But their motto was, where there's no fear of death, there is no slavery. And so with me, I, I, I get on the people who – carry out this bull crap, but also I get on us because it is our fear and then our lack of knowledge and, and wherewithal to deal with this system that puts us in these positions. So in other words, you know, I got brothers and I love them. When my people say, you know, I don't vote, I don't do this, I don't do this, and I'm like, you know, and then people are like, you know, it doesn't work. I'm like, listen, the Democrats and the Republicans have been beating ass for centuries. And all they do is vote. They ain't out there with guns. They ain't out there with anything. Matter of fact, they run this whole country based off of manipulating the vote. So don't say the vote don't work. Just say you don't know how to use it. Or say you don't believe it'll work for you. But don't say it doesn't work. But then if you can't tell me how it works, I don't care what you got to say. And then also, they talk about these brothers can't, the, the, um, the, the, the dudes who killed Aubrey, can't be tried for hate crimes because the law of hate crime doesn't exist in the state. So there's a whole lot that we suffer from, from our attitude. And this is the thing about it. If we don't have peaceful change, all we have is violent confrontation. So if you're not willing to get down with the violent confrontation, you need to be working on getting inside this system, being the spooky side by the door, and manipulating things so we can have recourse that doesn't mean we always got to pick up arms. But understand, America was conquered by force, and it's probably not going to be given up. And I don't mean like giving up turning into something other than America, but I'm talking about the power structure, the people who run it, the oligarchs, the, the plutocracy, they're not giving this up without a fight. If they're murdering um, leaders in other countries to protect their, their vested interests around the world, they'll do the same here. And so at one point, we got to get past our fear, and we got to get past this, this, this complacency and this, this laissez-faire where we just like, well, I ain't going to make a choice. It's like everything Trump does is affecting everybody else. We're dying because this joker threw away the pandemic books. 
handbook that was given to him by Barack Obama, and we like, well, he, we didn't vote for him. It's like, yes, you did. By sitting your ass at home and not doing anything, you gave up your choice because whoever gets in that office messes with your life. You don't have an option. Unless you got a passport and dual citizenship, whoever gets in that office messes with your ass. And the fact that you would give up your right to say who is going to mess with your ass just makes me respect you less. It's like, damn, mm-hmm. you are making that choice. So mm-hmm. it's like saying two people going to whoop your ass. Well, it don't matter to me. Yes, it does. Because if one of them is Pee Wee Herman and one is Mike Tyson, I would rather be hit by the little skinny white dude who can't punch. You know, so when we talk about it, I don't care what you say about Hillary Clinton. She wasn't this dumb. She wasn't this ignorant. She wasn't this aloof. She wasn't this narcissistic. And we wouldn't be in this much of a problem because, one, she wouldn't have fired the pandemic team. Two, she would have followed the plan that was put in place. And three, we wouldn't be locked down like this because chances are it wouldn't have got to us like this. So at Mm -hmm. one point, we got to get past this, you know, nothing we do matters. Because if that was the case, we wouldn't be in the position we are right now, whatever powers that came through. If, if, If nothing was conquerable, we wouldn't be here. And I don't know of any great civilization that not get his ass kicked. No regime that never got toppled. From Tsarist Russia on down, they thought them jokers was going to be around until people just got tired of it, and then they start killing the Tsars and getting rid of them folks. And, I mean, now you got Putin way too much further. But you see what I'm saying? There's going to get, or there's always a point that you're going to get to where the people are going to be pressed to the point where they can't be pressed anymore, and it's going to turn into something. And if you ain't willing to be down with that, then you need to be finding other means. But we can't live this legacy of don't say anything, don't do anything, and then complain when something happens. So I'm just pissed. I'm pissed that we don't know the law. I'm pissed that we're still subject to this bull crap, you know, and then, you know, I'm, I'm torn between, you know, being more astute with the law and getting a gun and shooting at white folks who look like they're going to shoot at me. I mean, I'm torn by that every day. Mm. But we I'm, got I'm not we got to do something. <laughs> I'm not. No, man, I'm good in the military, dude. I'm not. I'm not. I, no. No, baby, I'm not. Because it listen, in the words of the uh, uh what I like to call Saint Tupac, <laughs> if it's my life or your life, I'm a bomb first. Cause that's how. Cause let's be honest. That's how the government treats stuff. Let's be honest. That's how. And I'm not. And I'm not calling just for you know people to just go grab guns and just start shooting up indiscriminately and all that. That's crazy. And that's that's that should be seen as a last resort. But they ought to know that that ain't off the table. You know what I mean? Well, it's like this. Because, well, I'm like this. This because, is a side note. If you get a gun, please learn how to shoot so you shoot the person yeah. you're aiming at. Yeah. This is a side note. Like we, like we got, like we got to get into this whole thing. You know, there is when you're talking about freedom and and absolute freedom for for you and yours. Nothing is off the table, and that whole let's be passive and this, that, and the other. Um, the United States of America was founded in a revolutionary war. 
Give me liberty or give me death. Who is that, Patrick Henry? So, yeah. no. So, no, let's not, let's get past this, oh, and we have to be passive and, 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 you know, we can talk and we shall overcome and nonviolence and this is done, this, that, and the third. No, 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 no. Yes, that should be the first thing. But see, I like, you know why I like Barack Obama? Because he's black? I like Barack. I, well, that ain't got shit to do with it. I like Barack Obama because he was diplomatic, and then when all diplomacy failed, he sent a drone after that ass. He did okay, what my so. grandmother. T- he, he did what my grandmother told me to do. Hey, listen, you ain't got to go out and try and be a bully and go for bad and all of that stuff. But you cover every inch of ground that you're standing on. You cover every inch of ground, and you don't let nobody come and di- and and take you out. Hey, if if I was taught if somebody hits you, you hit them back. If they're too big, you get you a stick and knock the cowboy shit out of them. My grandmother, church lady, Baptist woman, told my me that, and I was five. Well, you know, so a Baptist has to carry a thirty-eight, so you know they make the most passive people on the planet. Right. So let's <laughs> let's get something really let's let's get something really straight here. You that that applies to it. So when y'all sit there and talk about that, let's not forget that Martin Luther King was a Baptist minister. Um, who carried who carried a thirty-eight until they told him he couldn't do it anymore. Right. But he also had cats out in front of him who was armed to the teeth. Let's not forget that point. As talking well. about the deacons of defense. Also, yes, sir. And also, let us not forget. Now, if all of this rings true, why is it that if it rings true, no matter what, except for when you're talking about white folks and killing black folks? And I swear, to, and I and I promise you, right hand to God. If I hear another family of somebody who was slain by white folks out of nothing more than racism, get on the news and talk that forgiveness and can't we all just get along? Shit, I'm going to, my, I, I, I promise you, my head might explode. That's the most asinine thing that and that is also keeping us back. Well, brother, Not, that's 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 one of the legacies of of um, a particular brand of Christianity. Yeah, the uh, that is forgiveness and pray pray for those who use you spitefully and other cheeking and you know and 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 you know return evil for evil to no one you know all of that man that you know that's that is you know which is why I'm not a christian um and and those those kinds of asinine things that that essentially turn people into unreasoning um, individuals you know i I will have no no master of my mind other than reason. And and reason says says I should defend myself. 
and I should defend myself not only physically, but psychologically, spiritually, mentally, and emotionally. Right. And not and not leave yeah. myself open to to um, I hate to say it, but to have a modern, my modern life controlled by by the the musings of a bunch of Bronze Age peasants who didn't know about how the world actually works. So I was raised a Christian, but I gave it up in the interest of of of, of having my own goddamn mind and making some sense. Now let's have a real conversation. <laughs> right. And 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 that is the thing about it. Um and getting to the next chapter of any part of your life, you have to become your decision maker. Because, I mean, even as a Christian, I feel not, I don't go along with some of the dictates. Because, one, I don't understand where they got them from. Like, we read the same Bible, and I ain't got the same stuff they got. But at one point, you have to decide. Who you gonna follow? How you gonna follow? And what you gonna do? And you can't be a slave to tradition, because the majority of what I see in Christianity and other faiths are not necessarily spiritual dictates. Those are cultural beliefs and traditions that have been passed down in the name of God. Well, that and spirituality there, there, there has nothing your to do. About legacy. Yeah. I mean, when so we think about legacy, it's, it's essentially we're talking about something that's been left behind by others, right? And usually yeah. it means mm-hmm. something that is good and useful, but, but that may not always be the case because we leave behind mistakes as well and people and, and, and bad decisions, and people have to live in the wake of those bad decisions. And so, yeah. and so when you talk about, about, about not, not basically uh, bending necessarily to tradition, um, there's a tradition of bending to tradition. You know, true that. Um, there, there is a received knowledge um, that that people get, and and you know everything Gypsy was talking about as far as um, you know what I consider, you know, the sheep-eyed weakness that that is pervasive amongst people who want to forgive. People, people who 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 have killed uh, folks who they love. Um, that is a legacy that that I despise, and um, I do not forgive. I refuse to forgive. I carry a grudge like it's got two fucking handles and glue on it. <laughs> so. Are we going to talk about some art up in this bitch or not, man? What are we going to do? Yeah. <laughs> once we get past this, so let's let's do um, okay. the station check-in. This is TNC Radio. Um, next chapter, we're talking legacy with Reggie Gibson. You know, we always talk about the hot topic or the current topic first. You know, so uh, we've been talking about um, the brother whose murder was filmed and and this is crazy the white guy who who put it out said he thought that would help exonerate his 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 friend that dumb junk and dumb about the legacy <laughs> that happened. I didn't uh, hear that. <laughs> yeah he said because he 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 in the tape they showed this supposedly this dude jogging and walking into a construction site and walking out 
and therefore that was supposed to be the justification. And we're not going to even get into the law because it's like, as somebody mm-hmm. who's done security and has a guard card and had um right. and has been trained and and um certified in the ability to arrest, everything that they're saying is actually just bullcrap. None of that's legal, mm-hmm. and none of it's based off of what it takes a citizen to arrest somebody. That's just white mm-hmm. folks saying we did something right, but everything they did was incorrect. I mean everything. Mm-hmm. So gotcha. um gotcha. so 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 that's what we were talking about. Like I said, we ain't getting to that. So what we're gonna do. We're going to take a musical break, and then we're going to come back to the show. And, again, we're discussing Legacy with Reggie Gibson, and we're going to be talking poetry, art, education, and the place in Legacy coming up. If you want to call in, the number is 646-668-2574. Again, 646-668-2574. Do not text message me and say the show is going good or ask me a question. Call your buddy in and ask the question. There you go. Because last time we had um, Okanta on people texting, like, oh, man, I'm listening to this show. It's like, dude, call in. So that's what we're saying. I don't know what we're about to play because Gypsy's about to play it. But after um, our music (laughs) interlude, like I said, if you want to call in, 646-668-2574. Just remember, we ain't got to agree with you, but you do got to make some kind of sense. So, Gypsy, what we headed to, what we about to do? Well, we had... You, we had uh, two birthdays, very uh, special artists. One was a uh, crush, long-time crush, uh, Miss Janet Jackson. Jackson. Yes, Lord. Why do you say her um, full name? Janet Jackson. Could, you don't be under the Joe. That's the, the, just Janet. Listen. <laughs> she is, listen. All right, go ahead. She is, she is worthy of her whole full name being spoken. Okay. You don't even know if she likes her full name. Hey, listen, it I like everything associated <laughs> with okay. So <laughs> I hope your wife but, is listening. Nah. She already knows. <laughs> That's right, ain't no secrets in the marriage, bro. Right. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> hey, 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 baby, hey man, even, even I didn't believe that. <laughs> hey, hey, man, put on. Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of crazy. Hey, hey, baby, put on a rhythm nation hat. <laughs> put on a rhythm nation hat tonight. <laughs> we can take control. <laughs> right, we can, we can roll play. Take control. Get <laughs> <laughs> the music break. Janet right. Jackson and who? No, Come on. No. no. <laughs> but, <laughs> but in the, <laughs> no, but also we had um we losing a lot of a uh, lot of legends and we only got like in my opinion like one real living legend left. For real, so somebody find that brother and put him in bubble wrap. Keep prayers on him. We need him to stay alive for as long as possible. The brother just turns 70 uh, on the 13th, and I'm talking about none other than the eighth wonder of the world, Stevie Wonder. So True that it was a t- yeah. so it's a ta- so it was a toss up between Janet and Stevie. Sorry, Janet, we love you. But we're gonna play Stevie this. All right? 
But Janet yeah. looks better than Stevie. Oh, I'm I sorry. Know. Oh, legacy. My bad. Oh, legacy, a- not looks. She got a legacy of being fine. I mean, for real. Like, from good times yeah, yeah. all the way up to now. Like, yeah. Okay. So, yes. uh, we got yes. Janet next, but we're going to start with Stevie. <laughs> all right, cool. Take us out.
All right, all right, all right, all right. This is TNC Radio on the D-Hour, ne- D-Hour Network. This is the next chapter where we'll always be diving into open and depth conversation about dreams, determination, and dedication, and the journey taken to realize them, focusing on transitioning from love, one le- going from one level to another and recognizing when and how to move to the next chapter. All right, um, this is part of our legacy series. Today we have Reggie Gibson. We're talking about poetry, art, and education and their place in legacy. We have a caller, but caller, um, I've been trying to reach you, but you ain't been saying anything. So um, I'm going to put this question to Reg, and then um, I'm going to try to get you to see what your question is. So, Reggie, you there? Yeah. All right. Can you hear me? So, I mean, yes, 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 yes. So, um since we are talking about, you know, the um the place of poetry, art and education, first question, why an artist? Like I know you. I know you're talented. I think you're a mechanic too. I mean you you one of those brothers that could basically do whatever you put your mind to. So why an <laughs> artist? Um Well I I think I, I think it's probably driven that happened as a result of curiosity, right? Um, all of us, we have creative capacity, and it's just a matter of how we, uh, what pushes us toward a particular way of of, of connecting. I think I think that that an artist is something. For me, it's about an individual who looks for connections with uh, and to and to make um, inroads from what it is I can sense and observe with my senses and um, something more profound, which might just elude those senses and to try to create a language that speaks to, to both of those uh, perceived realities. Um, I have been, a friend of mine uh, who, who, you know, his name was Kent Foreman. Um, he had a, a sort of a haiku and it was called raison d'etre which means my reason for being. And, and I've always found that this to be, to, to encompass how I feel. He, he talked in asking why he wrote poetry. He said, because I need to be understood almost, almost as much as I need to understand. Right. And so that, that desire to be both understood and to understand, I think forces yeah. one to, to find creative, creative inroads to connect those. Got you, and this this is a shout out to Kent Foreman. I love him, man. He he's yeah. the only dude I know who wrote deaf poetry jam with a haiku. And I remember what exactly. He said, he said, "Oh, you want me to love you like I would love you if I were you, or something like that." Right. I was done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was that was his piece. Uh, it was called it was called Epiphany, right? This sudden revelation. Yeah. And he go and he goes, uh, yeah, I think you pretty much got it right. It was just about the pronoun. He says, Oh, she wants me to love her the way that she would love her if she were me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I used to love talking yeah. to Kent, man. That joker was oh, man. Like, he was off the hook, man. Yeah, yeah, so, a good older brother, man, who you know, yeah, good brother. And so in, in your explanation, you said you wanted to be, you know, the, to under, be understood as much as you want to understand. 
Did you ever have yeah. a social aspect or dynamic to it where you were doing it for like, you know, as people say, a higher or greater cause, or was it just for the fact that you wanted to communicate with people, or was this like, did this have a social structure to the point where you wanted to teach people to communicate, or is just about like, yo, I just want to be down and vibe with people? Um, could you rephrase that question? So in other words, I, I'll put it this way. Was there a higher social purpose that encompassed, like, you know, a, a cause, or was it just like, you know, I want to dig and be dug? Oh. Um, well, I think that, that, that sort of comes, comes along with, with my, uh, my need to be, to dig and be dug because the question that becomes need to, to dig and be dug by whom, <laughs> right. And, and for what yeah. purpose and, 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 and then of course one has to get into, to the, um, the question of why do you need this, right? What uh-huh. is it about you that drives you to be in concert with other human beings, right? Um, and I think, and I think all of that has to do with the fact that we're a social species. Um, the the way that we have formed groups is is through communication, and not not just about words, uh, but about what what the words might point to, right? Concepts that we share. Uh-huh. Uh, as a group, um, how do we speak of those concepts? How do we how do we um, uh, modify those concepts? How do we stay in concert with one another and, and grow? So I, I would look at all of that as, as some higher purpose, not something that's driven out of a sense of narcissism, strictly that I want this, but that I have a need for this. A lot, and I think other human beings have a need for that as well. And 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 with those needs, you know, we we get to finding out more about who we actually are. Okay. And so why poetry in specific? Like, was it because you weren't, and this is going to sound cold, because you you, you weren't talented in other aspects of creativity, or this was just your, Mm -hmm. the one that you you chose? Well, I think, I think if I, I've done this, I've sort of traced back my I guess my need for this, right, or my idea about this, is that I trace it back to my great great grand my great grandfather, who uh, was a railway worker, and he was illiterate. And so what my great granddad would do is he would tell stories and sing songs, and he would do these things as a, as a mnemonic device, which is a, a way for him to to remember uh, certain things because he could not read, he could not write, so he had to have a way of remembering. And and so he would tell us these stories, and he would sing us these songs when we were younger. And and so for me, it it, it I was uh, looking back on it, I was so taken by it, right? That that uh, I think that that's probably set me up for the for the rest of my life. And and even though, you know, my my great grandfather, I remember once uh, he was singing a song that he had created. Uh, from being on the railroad, and it was because uh, he was one of the guys who they called the caller. He was the guy who would sing out where everybody else would hit the hammer to, to his to his songs. And so one of his songs wow. was "I am working now, huh, all day long, Lord. Huh, here comes the sun, huh, traveling tracks of sky. Huh, oh, oh, Lord, huh, right." 
And in that song, when when I examine that, you know, what my great grandfather was doing was he was he was making a metaphoric comparison between two things, right? Two things he had seen every day. He said, but what he said was, here comes the sun traveling up the tracks of the sky, right? So here he was comparing the sun to a train. And he was comparing the it, it going up the sky to it being on tracks, right? So these uh-huh. two worlds of, of what he had seen every day in nature and what he also had seen for much of his life being a railway worker, he was creating a connection between those two disparate things. And he was using metaphor and language as a way to do so, right? Now, if you'd have told my great-granddad that that's what he was doing, that he was creating a metaphor, he would not have known what you meant, right? But he instinctively knew what to do, right? To take the various aspects of his reality and bring them together, and the way he found to bring them together was through language. So, So when I look at that, for me, it was much like the die was cast, right? Um... And then, you know, my mother, you know, uh, my first, I would say my first book of poetry that I, that I remember uh, reading um, was the Bible, you know, and many of the poetic passages that, that arrested me, whether they were from Psalms or from Proverbs or, or the, the, the book of Lamentations, you know, uh, and then you want to talk about metaphor, you go to the book of Revelations. And it's like, you know, how can one not be swept away by, by, by the sheer poetry of all of that? So, so um, words, I think, just took me, right? Had my great-grandfather mm-hmm. played horn, that may have been something different. Had my mother been more into John Coltrane than she was into, you know, gospel music or something, that might have, that might have been a different path. But, but that's how I see that I was set on a path to use words. Interesting. So that that gets to the word, and now we talk about you know the the, um, the mediums that you use. You use music. I mean, your your um, author, your book, "Storms Beneath the Skin." Great book. Um, if I remember right, you won an award for that, didn't you? Yeah, it was. It was called the Golden yeah. Pen Award. Uh, won that some years yeah. ago. Yeah. And now you, if I'm right, you have your MFA. Is that correct? And I do creative yeah, writing. Back to school. Then. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I have my and, master's. And now, and, and now you teach. So I do. I do. How do how do those work? Like, because you know some artists, you know, they they perform all their lives and they never walk into a classroom except like as a special guest or, you know, <laughs> once they get so successful in their craft you know, they don't see the need to go back and get any kind of validation or certification. I mean, you got your MFA right. after you were an award-winning poet, you're a national poetry slam champion, and you were like an international phenom. So why go get an MFA and why teach? Why not just perform and let that be? Well, um, I, I, I think that for me I've always respected um, – all kinds of, of of edifying education, and and that is whether it is the, the you know 
the education we give ourselves, you know, being a, you know, much of myself, I look at myself as an autodidact, you know, a person who to some degree is self-taught. But I've also always respected people of letters, and and I've always been an individual who who loved to to learn and to find out about stuff, and um, didn't really realize that I had any particular talent for that whole teaching thing until until years ago in Chicago, um, uh, a brother asked me to, to to come into and address his class, you know, on a particular thing, and. Um, you know, uh, I was, I went in, I did it, I was well received. And uh, from that point on, I started becoming more and more interested in possibly, you know, the pedagogy of, of, of bringing uh, ideas to, to people and, and having a structured way of, of doing something. And, and um, you know, been on that path, I would say, ever since I was in my early mid-20s, 20, early 20s, somewhere around there. Now I teach, um, I occasionally teach for several universities, or at least I did before, before you know, uh, Corona showed his ugly head. And, um, the age of Rona. always, yeah, the age of Rona, right, you know, but, um, but yeah, you know, and, and I, I love, I love teaching in colleges, uh, you know, and also I love um, going into, you know, what I never thought I'd really, really fall in love with was, was, was K through five, you know. Uh, really? Being in K through five classrooms, uh, doing poetry, teaching poetry, teaching language, how, the effective use of it, um, you know, leading students from from one uh, point to another point, and you know, just watching the light go on in their eyes. I think it's because my wife she's a, she's she's an educator and she teaches um, younger children. Well, now she's an administrator, but for so long she was an educator. We taught younger children, and she would invite me into her classroom, and and you know, I really got to see. Whoa, this is. This is where the real sort of learning begins to take place, where where students are taught to learn for the rest of their life, where they're turned on or off to to the pursuit yeah. of, uh, of of knowledge, you know. And and I take that that pretty seriously. You know, so much so, you know, when when people when, when students act a fool in my class, you know, they're they're only given uh, a few chances before I kick them out. You know, I I will kick a student out of my class, and it's not that I have anything against the student. It's just that I take education so seriously that, that anything that gets in the way of other people's education becomes my enemy. And so I, I tell my students, I am ruthless with my enemies. So you, you, can, you can put your head down if you don't want to hear what I have to say, but you will not be a disruptive influence to keep someone else from hearing what I have to say. Yeah. That's real. And so you, you yeah. mentioned... Like the young ones, um, mm-hmm. do, do how do you modify what you do? Because I mean, I talk to you all the time, and 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 I and I know that um, your level of intellect, man. How do you translate that down to the point where you're not talking over them? And the reason I'm asking that huh. is because part of legacy is transmission and communication, mm-hmm. and a lot of times, like right. I was a computer science math ma- a computer science and math major when I first went to school, and I made my money, how I survived based off of really smart teachers who couldn't communicate what they knew to the students. Uh-huh. And so I had to like, they're like, what was he saying? I'm like, pay me twenty bucks an hour, and I'll tell you. So, <laughs> you know, sometimes <laughs> sometimes people who really get it, 
don't know how to break it down to people who don't get it like them. And so if you could, and I, I know this is on, I know this is real like on the spot, but if you can just talk about the process that you use to take it from how you see it in your brain to a language where they can get it, you know, to try to give us a concept of like how do we take what we know and communicate it to others, especially when it's people who might not see it or get it like we do. Right. Well, are you talking about are you talking about people who just might be? Um, there's a difference between folks who, who who might be just younger, right? And and they just don't have as much experience as you may have because they're younger and they you know, or people who just might be on a different uh, side of an issue with you or don't or might not even be clear about what it is you're talking about. So, uh, just don't know anything about what it is you're talking about, right? Or what you wish to tell them. Um, all of that, all of that for me is always about where is the person and how do we how do we move them to another place, right? One of the things you and I mm-hmm. often talk about is the Socratic method, right? You know, the thing of, of yeah. asking questions and 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 learning to ask better and better questions, um, and and trying to lead a student to a sort of self-revelation, depending upon what the subject is, of course. You know, uh, with you with yeah. computer math, you know that was probably not not uh, always able to do that, right? But with what, what I deal with, yeah. which is primarily in, in areas of the humanities, uh, you know, which, of course, the, 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 the focus of the humanities is the human, right? And, and so I always think about when they're young, what values are we trying to get them? What values are we trying to move them toward, right? What are the things that we think mm-hmm. are, are about good citizenship? How is it that we should act toward one another? And I try to pick poems, let's just say, that, that highlight those values, and if I cannot find those poems, I will create those poems. And and um, and in the creation of those pieces, right? It's I think about what other values I try to teach my own children, and what have I tried to teach them? And the four four things I've tried to teach my children was work hard, play fair, be kind, and reach out. So with younger with younger kids, that's kind of my playbook. You know, and I try to to get the type of work that that exhibits that, but then to also show them how how this particular piece of literature creates meaning, right? How it does it through through imagery, how it does it through sound, how it does it through senses, and when it comes to to older and older students, it always depends upon upon where they are. You know, with that. You know what they've read, what they've mm-hmm. not read. And I always try to try to find out. Okay, well, what's been required, and and who's actually done it, and and we just start off the first couple of days talking about just real stuff about how we might want this class to go, how we might want it to proceed. Um, if I'm talking about my college students, particularly at Clark University, I teach a course called um, uh, Voicing the Verse, which is part reading, part writing, and part performing. Of 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 work that we that we've created, and uh, and I basically move those students into into ways of of communicating through poetic texts, and and talk about why does this language work, you know? So we 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 go through quite a few things: the language of commercials, the language of political speech, um, the language of sermons, the language of um, of performance perform language and say, let's break down how language is actually working. So I try to do that on all levels, pinning it always depends upon where the student is when I find them. Well, you know what, that's, and, and 
I, I do this, and Gypsy always <laughs> get on me. But um, just to sum it up, like if I was putting it in clinical terms, it sounds like you you was you you find a way to establish a baseline of understanding and and um, achievement and knowledge base, and then you cater. And now I shouldn't say cater because that's wrong. And then you structure your what you're attempting to give them to where they're at and what they understand mm-hmm. for the purpose of bringing them up. And I think that's so really important because a lot of times people just, well, if you don't get it, you don't get it, you know, or, or they right. take it as a, right. a, as a sign of intelligence or lack thereof if you can't right. fathom what they're speaking. You know, when they might be right. speaking French and you might speak five other languages, but <laughs> French is not one of them. But you know what yeah, I'm yeah, saying? Absolutely. Absolutely. And so, I, I think that's unfortunate sometimes when we act that way. You know, I, I've often thought of, thought of, you know, my first job is as a communicator, right? And mm-hmm. and that means you, you find out the best way to communicate. Uh, it was, a, it was a, um, an analogy I heard once. Um, I forgot who it was who was saying this, and if there's somebody out there who, who knows what it is, please let me know. But it was it was saying how, how a communicator needs to be like like a master archer, a master hunter trying to trying to bring down the game. That that a master hunter doesn't have just one arrow, one type of arrow in the quiver. There are multiple types of arrows for different types of game. Right? And that you can use an arrow that's too big on a rabbit and just totally destroy it. Or you can use something that's too small on an antelope, and it doesn't work at all. So it's about knowing what the objective is, what it is that you're trying to do, and picking something from the quiver that can get the job done. And so it is also for me about how do we think about communicating on multiple levels with people, right, so, mm-hmm. so, that, so that they feel heard and understood and, 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 and can trust you more to bring them to, a, to another space. And that has, to, that has to do with respect for what people are. And, it, right, it's got nothing really to do. Very often it has nothing to do. If a person is genuinely attempting to understand you, it's really got nothing to do with intelligence many times. It has to do with familiarity, right? It's like what you just said about, mm-hmm. about you speaking a language that I don't speak, right? It's familiarity. And, and so and there are people you'll find they are scholarly in things that they have interest in, you know? And, and so many times, it's for, for, as an educator, it's like, how do you create interest, right? How do you bring it to a person in such a way that, that something sparks and turns on? And they say, oh, I've never thought about it like that before. Perhaps I should pursue that, right? Um, yeah. But, you know, it, it's unfortunate when we, when we sometimes our ego makes us want to let people know how much we know that they don't know. <laughs> you know, yeah. so that we can basically stand. You know, so we could basically stand on on them and and somehow somehow see ourselves as being above them. And it's just it's unfortunate when that happens. And and I, and I, I would I would ask any of us that that would do that to ask ourselves why do we have the need to tower over someone? Yeah, that, that, and that's that's a great question, man. And there's so many questions that. We could talk about, but I'm gonna ask you one more question. Then I'm gonna let Gypsy get his. In. Um, sure, I love as questions. As an artist who, who worked with, oh, if y'all want, because I sometimes I know what Oconto. We forgot, you know, we we took over. We got let people call. 
646-668-2574. If you have a if you have a question for Reggie or just a comment on the role of poetry, art, and education in our legacy, 646-668-2574. Call in. So Reg, you like you've been around yeah. a lot of people, you've seen a lot of people. Who as far as and I, I you know and it could be it could be a contemporary I, I'm specifically asking for like an old head but if it's a contemporary that's cool too. Who do you think impacted you the most as an artist meeting them and what was it that you got from them that you still carry? And I know it's oh. a weighted question, so it is well you you know I mean there there's several folks who sort of come to you at different different points in your life right but. You mentioned um, earlier uh, Gwendolyn Brooks, right? Yeah. And uh, Gwendolyn Brooks, she was poet laureate of Illinois, poet laureate of Chicago, and she lived in Chicago. And Gwendolyn Brooks, uh, when I was in third grade, came to my school. For those who who may be unfamiliar with Miss Brooks, Miss Brooks was the first African American to win the Pulitzer Prize for literature, and she won it. She won it for poetry back in the 1950s, and. Um, she came to my classroom um, on the west side of Chicago, and she read us poem. And the poem that she read, she read um, a piece by Carl Sandburg because Carl Sandburg had previously been the um, he had previously been the poet laureate who had had who had had the position that that she had now taken over. And what what Miss Brooks did. Um, she she would come in and she would read a piece by by him, and um, the piece again is called the fog, and it's a very short short piece and and it goes something like um, the fog comes on little cat feet, it sits looking over harbor and city on silent haunches, and then moves on. And what she did was she started asking us about what feelings we were getting from that, what images we were getting from that. Did we think about the sound of the piece? You know, um, she talked to us about about how 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 does the fog really have feet? Well, what is the fog being compared to, right? And she just mm-hmm. let us let us go go on through that. And and what I didn't know at that point in time is that Miss Brooks had really become my first poetry teacher. You know. Um, to teach wow. me how to how to do that, and, and I and I think that that was one of those things that also had an impression upon me, and 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 started me in this idea of of how words create meaning, and how they work on us, and and she was always she was a very generous, generous individual with people, and people loved her, and she would always have time for folks, except, right, except for when uh, all my children or General Hospital, all my children was on. Uh, you would call my house, and if all my children was on, she would just pick up the phone and call all my children <laughs> on and hang, it, and, and hang the phone up. So, so, so you know, like I my mean, grandmother. Watched, oh man, she had watched that soap opera since it had started. You know what I mean? And and mm-hmm. and so so she was just not having it. But that was the only time when you could not prevail upon her. <laughs> was, was when she was watching her when she was watching her shows, man. But yeah, she was extraordinary. She, she was actually, she's one of our she's one of our finest uh, formalists, I think, as far as formal uh, writing of poetry. Um, mm-hmm. But also fiercely dedicated, fiercely dedicated to black liberation. But also, uh, you know, to 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 
black intellectual liberation as well. And so, yeah, yeah. I, I would say if I trace it far back, the first famous old head who had that type of influence on me, who I actually met, was, was Gwendolyn Brooks. And she, and she still abides. Dope. You know, she still abides with me. Yeah. Yeah, and, that, and that's and that's wild because you know most people when they say Gwendolyn Brooks, they only know her from her work and from like maybe like old mm-hmm. tapes and videos and stuff. And so when you said mm-hmm. that, I was like, wow, like you know, I mean, but you know, you know, we both had the pleasure and and honor of meeting some great people, but it's like I just got kind of jealous right. in that moment, like you know i got to work with her later on you know and everything but but yeah that was that was the most you know that was really impactful you know that was really impactful um then there was also you know sonia sanchez and amir baraka um getting oh, yeah. to 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 be on a on a bill with them um all of us reading our work and you know i'm just like trying to keep from floundering you know because here here's two people whose work had had sort of liberated liberated my mind as well as my tongue to to push language in a, in a certain direction and and um you know being in a car with them um going from an airport to um to a university to read and I'm just in that car just shutting up you know just listening to them talk about it <laughs> and they were talking about yeah. you know Jimmy this and Jimmy that and it was going on and where that and I'm just listening and it took me about 10 minutes before I'm like, oh, shit, they're talking about James Baldwin, you know? And uh-huh. and it was just Jimmy, Jimmy, Jimmy. And I'm like, damn, you know? So it was like, wow, okay, my, my head's being blown right now. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Well, it looks like we lost Gypsy, so I guess I get to keep asking questions because he'll, he'll be back oh, okay. Here. But yeah, but those okay. those questions, and especially in Mary, because um, one of my mentors for over a decade was um, Muhammad Ahmed, um, Max mm. Stanford, who was Malcolm X's personal secretary. And so mm. when Mary came in town, he would always be hanging out with um, Max, and I would be charged with driving those jokers around and listening to him. Uh-huh. And and I I said I said you know I I said I said the best time ever is I got to play bouncer to Mary Baraka because we were at Lancers which is a um, jazz club in Cleveland right and there right. was a schedule and Muhammad's like we got to go we got to go so Muhammad walks to the car and then he's like where is Mary I said Mary still he said go get him I'm like go get him Go, you don't just go get I mean, <laughs> So I'm coming yeah, in there like, yo, Mr. Brock, we got to go, we got to go. And the reason we didn't leave is because as we were leaving, the band started playing I Shot the Sheriff by um by Marley. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Mary, you know, he speaks his mind. And so when they got to the um to the point, but I didn't shoot the deputy, he'd be like, "And shoot that motherfucker too." And I'm just sitting there like, oh, I, I, "I am, I am rolling," and I was like trying to get him out of the thing. And I like it was the softest <laughs> let's go ever. Like, cause I really wasn't trying to usher him out. I was just like, I'm just gonna stand next to him and act like I'm doing something. But it was funny. Oh, like man. Malcolm X, personally <laughs> secretary, telling me to go get a Mary Baraka and bring him out to jazz club. I was like, how does this happen? <laughs> man, I know. I know. That's funny. <laughs> Yo, Gypsy, you back on? 
Yeah, man. Yeah, uh, man. You must have Metro PCS. Let me know. Let me quit. This is that is not a shout out to Metro PCS. I know nothing about them except the terrible service I had with them. But I ain't saying to or not to get Metro PCS because I want nobody calling up talking about I was bad mouthing. <laughs> that was a joke. So, um, questions, Gypsy, because you know I'll you know I'll be here all day. So get them in while you can. All righty. Uh, well, let me say this. I had the pleasure of meeting you when we were uh, on Beekman, and I believe you went to the you came in town and went to and was performing at the uh, what was that the Bowery uh, Poetry Spot? Yeah, in New yeah. York. Yeah. Yeah. That's so, cool. Yeah, um, years ago. Yeah, and um, it was interesting because. The one thing about Book, he doesn't name drop. He just, oh, yeah, this is my boy, Reg. And so, you know, right. I'm like, all right, well, you know, he's like, yeah, he's, he's brother. He's like family, brother's family. I'm like, all right, well, he's fam. That's it, right? So as we're there, I'm like, okay, I'm digging his poetry, digging his poetry. I was digging that dashiki he was wearing a little bit harder, though. <laughs> <laughs> Right, and then you hit this Jimmy poetry, and I was like, "My brother, you know, brother Newton." Right. And then it wasn't until after that that everybody started talking about your um your bio, and all of a sudden it came out that you were the one that wrote "Brother to the Night" and all this, that, and the other. And I was like, "Oh my God, that was him." How come didn't nobody tell me? He was like, yeah. And he was like, yeah. Uh, you like that? And I'm like, yeah, I like it. I was like, yo, man, that was like one of the things that made me. He was like, yeah, uh, read this. And he gave me the unabridged version to read. And now, um, how should I say this? My Love Jones CD only starts with track two. <laughs> so I like to thank the both of you for fucking that up for me, but it was <laughs> just doing my job. But <laughs> but yeah, cause you should see him, and I'm like, that ain't the full poem, dude. Like. Cause I had stories underneath the skin. I said, "No, read this." And then his question was like, "Well, how'd they get that out of it?" I'm like, "Hey, dude, I don't know these answers. I just <laughs> showing you what's going on." I, I was, I was, I was not pleased. But with that <laughs> being said, it's a twofold question. Um, one, being an artist, and you know. It being largely based on your life and, you know, you writing that piece. One, how did you feel? um, Because I I guess that would be your signature piece. Everybody knows you from that. Mm. You know, a lot more people you were exposed to from that piece. Um, Mm -hmm. How do you feel about being an artist yourself and then having someone edit that? from what it intentionally was? And do you ever perform 
the full out piece. Uh, well, um, it's interesting because because um, I I wanted to do the full piece, of course, because it's how I conceived it. But I, but I also being a communicator, I understood that. Um, there was a lot of that film that was going to end up on the cutting room floor um, because there was uh, time issues. You know, you can't have a three-hour, you know, movie for for that. The other thing is that is that I also, being a person who also does editing, you know, of my own work and revision of my own work, I understood that that there was a couple things. You know, uh, a um, Lorenz Tate, it was taken too much to sort of under to, to sort of bring to him the sort of spiritual uh, background about about what was up with the piece, right? Um, the you know so so that was taking time. Uh, the other thing too was that was that in the the uh, arc of the story, right? Given how much time had been allotted for for that uh, bar scene, that that performance scene to take place, you know, my original would have added another two minutes to it. So so I understood, you know, sometimes when it comes down to writing, we, we have to do what we call sacrifice our darlings, which means things we really would like to put in there, but it really doesn't have a place, you know, uh, in the overarching thing. And for me, that wasn't that, wasn't that, that big a deal um, because I was figuring that I would always just have the original piece and I could always perform it and I would always be able to show people what it was really supposed to be like. Right. Okay. So it so it wasn't so it it, it was it, you know I, I it wasn't a big deal you know when it came to that. Um, the, the, your second question again was could you remind me of it please? Um, uh, having someone well, do that to was, the art. Um, it was also how did it feel um, seeing reaching that plateau at that time? How did it how did it feel to you because. From what I understand, you had reached several milestones prior to that. Right, right. So, you um, know, how did that feel? And did that feel like this was it, or was it like, okay, I've got a thousand other things to do? You know what I mean? Yeah, that was that was probably the latter part. You know, um, I've got other things to do. I've got other poems to write, and. You know, um, uh, a, a, another really, really fine poet um, named Sterling Plump, he said to me once, he says, every poet I know needs to write at least another 10 good good poems. You know, meaning that, that oh, the work wow. is, is sort of sort of never done. You know, you really can't rest. You know, it's like um, there are too many things, you know, if you got too many, if you got a lot of curiosities, you're going to pursue them. You know, and, and it's interesting because because when we talk about this legacy thing, right? It's that it's that I hardly ever really think about uh, that. That's always been my issue. Is that I've never really thought very much about it, legacy and stuff like that. Um, my wife has very often had to be the one to remind me of the importance of some of what it is that I do. Um, I did something at James Madison's Montpelier in in, in uh, his, his house in Montpelier, Virginia. And it had to do with with the U.S. Constitution, the legacy of slavery, and blah 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 blah. And 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 I did this stuff with them, this museum thing. 
And they said, hey, you know, the mayor is coming and we're going to bring you back to Virginia and it's going to be this big deal, this big opening because they was redoing his whole house and they had redid the, 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 the quarters where the enslaved were. And I was like, oh, cool. And my wife was like, oh, no, we're going with you. I'm like, hey, it's just a gig. She's like, baby, it is not just a gig. You know, she's like, <laughs> this is important. Your family needs to be with you. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> right? And they came with me, and she was right. <laughs> then, then, you know, I had something here where I live in Lexington, and it was, it was a, a, they were dedicating a, a community center. And this is a very historic place. It's where the quote-unquote American Revolution jumped off. And, and I wrote a dedication poem for it, and they wanted to put it on the, on the wall, and they did. It's like six feet wide, four feet high and whatnot. And I was like, oh, cool. And my wife says, no, baby, I don't think you understand this. She's like, once something goes up on a wall in this town, it does not come down. She's like, our grandchildren will be seeing this poem. And I'm like, oh, shit. <laughs> so I don't really think about that stuff. <laughs> you, you know, it's, it's, like, it's like my wife has had to be the one to tell me when something is of legacy value. You know, because I'm just always thinking about, hey, you know, this is what I'm working on and this is what I'm going to be working on. And I'm always nose down, moving, 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 moving. And she's the one who's basically had to tell me to slow down to recognize that something might might be passed on, you know. And, um, you know, she's she's right. <laughs> she's right in that sense. And, and since then, I've been I've been more more cognizant of um, of what's being passed on. You know, and I often ask myself yeah. about that. Like when we think about that, why do we have a desire to leave behind a legacy? And we all going to do it, whether it's intentional or unintentional, right? And I guess it's like, is it is it for people to know us better, or is it for people to to know themselves better? You know, and I have to ask, how much of this is based on ego and self-aggrandizement, and how much of this is based on a desire to not be forgotten so easily when death finds us, right? Um, and and I, those are serious questions. I think I think that we need to be to, to wrestle with. You know, I never think people are going to read this in a hundred years. I got to get it right. You know, it's 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 often more so for well, people need this shit right now. You know, and if there's something <laughs> yeah. I, can, you know, and if there, and if there's something if there's something I can do to like to like push back the blood tide or to make us see and stop and say, hey, maybe we can be a little bit better to each other than we have been, right? I'm thinking if we try to take yeah. care of the here and now, the there and then will work itself out. Yeah. That's what's up. That's what's up. So let yeah. me say this openly and publicly and declare it now. If it has never been done, I'm going to do it. And, you know, I hope I can be, if not the first, but one of the many. Um, I think that is, I think that is dope. And with a, uh, with a lot of the artists, like we talked about before we played Stevie, a lot of the artists, mm -hmm. you know, the true artists leaving nowadays, mm -hmm. uh, from your, the architect, Little Richard, uh, and, mm -hmm. you know, no longer having Prince Michael and so on and so forth. Um, right. There are, oh, give a shameless plug uh, to the last poets. They have mm -hmm. a... Uh, uh, YouTube event uh, tomorrow night. Please tune uh -huh. in. Uh, it's going to be star studded and it's and it's free. 
So uh, it, look on uh, Facebook and all of that. It's it's on it's cool. on there for anybody who wants to listen to that. But with that being said, hearing your description of how you approach art and how you think of it, even with something, because um, I've never been to Boston, so I I would I mm. would have just went up there and been like, oh oh man, that's dope. I know that dude, you know, <laughs> or you know right. something like that. It's 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 really dope to hear a artist just talking about the doing it for the art's sake and doing it for okay, well we need this right now and not trying to come the egotistical route and saying, I wanna be around, you know, for the next two hundred years and they'll study me in classrooms. No, nah, man, that's and I think that um <laughs> I can think, yeah. and I and and with that saying alone, and your body of work, I can honestly say that I would put you in that class of artistry of a Stevie or a Prince or a Michael oh. because you you do it to further the art and not further yourself. You you furthering yourself is just a byproduct of that, and that's dope, man. So keep doing what you're oh, doing. Well, well, thank you, thank you, brother. I appreciate that. And on that note, this is Jukebox yeah. Radio. Do a poem. Oh, all right. Um, remember, we were talking. We were talking earlier. We were talking about the idea about legacy, right? Uh, we're still yeah. talking about that. Um, so, so it's um, it's a, uh, it's a couple things that that I'm trying to figure out. How much time do you think we might have? Because that'll 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 determine what it is that I read. We got 18 minutes left in the show, and the last two minutes are our goodbyes in the song. So roughly, we got about 15 okay. minutes. All right, all right. So then I'll I'll read this. Um, this uh, on on uh, to to show we're coming up on on 20 years since 9/11, and I wrote this piece. Yeah. Um, it's interesting because I wrote this piece at a time when the towers had come down. And um, I was I wrote it just as amusing because I was actually writing it as a practice piece to write something else. And I wrote and I told my I read it to my wife and she says keep that, right? And the reason I'm thinking about it now is because we're because so much of it right now I think speaks to where we are at this point in history. And so it's called when they speak of our time. And I guess if we're talking about legacy, that's a pretty good title. And this was written at a time when our country was experiencing another national tragedy and could have written a better narrative. I am still hopeful we will. When they speak of our time, they will say it was a time when truth abandoned our words and running sores that passed for a false prophet's mouth. It was when television super shrinks conducted group psychosis. It was when drugged up teenagers lived in a haze of oblivion. When they speak of our time, they will say this was when we hamster-willed inside the jagged jaws of death and remarked at how it hovered above us, licking its murderous lip. They will say it was the hour of the falling towers, when halos of metal rained screams on our cities and smoke blackened the skies until the sun was a jaundiced memory. They will say this was a time when English, spoken with the wrong accent, meant an uncertain fate, and both red and blue states forgot that God is colorblind. 
They will say it was a time morality drank of Hollywood's hemlock as intellectual cowards bowed to the powers and promises of gold. They will say that a horrible darkness whispered our names until we closed our eyes and trembled with fear until we became the darkness that we feared. They will say this was a time of war in the name of terror, in the name of freedom, for the sake of peace, so there would be no more war in the name of. They will say this was a time of shrunken bellies and refugees and of blood being plagued by the ache of disease and of islands floating away on a raft of human bodies. They will say this was a time of the bullet bike, the misogynist lyric, and the anti-truth when we all danced to the beat of our children's cracking skulls. But let them also say that this was a time we fought against a self-inflicted genocide that something human in us stood up to resist the Orwellian jackboot, that finally in the rumbling throat of Ray Charles we heard what America could become, and in the bite of Mark Twain's wit we finally got the punchline, finally realized manifest destiny would not patch the human-sized hole in our history. Let them say it was when we said yes again and again and again and again to the pages of Pablo Neruda's verses resounding with peace for the coming twilights, peace for the bridge, peace for the wine, peace for the letters that seek us and rise in our blood, entwining the old song with land and love, peace for the city in the morning when bread rises, peace for the ashes of the fallen, peace for all the living, peace for all waters and lands. Let them say that this was when the woman stepped forward, declaring, I am that I am, and we men began to break ourselves of the need to break women. Let them say this was the time we struggled against and fallacy, that it was of lawyers abandoning courtrooms to plant wheat in Kenyan fields, that this was when truth found our tongues again and we were unafraid to open our mouths and speak it. Let them say that we were a people of faith in a time when faith was in crisis, that we were a people of hope when it made no sense to hope at all. That we still believe that love could be as simple as the images our ancestors painted on caves, images birthing our first human songs, like water and flower, the sun, moon, and stars, and wind, and rain, and river, and fire, because even as earth shook beneath our shoes, we knew there were things that would not change. Let them say that this was a time we desperately reached through the malignant maelstrom of electronic chaos and the mad invocations of the soulless who profit from the poisonous pathology of our time, and we found others there with our own eyes and our own hands reaching back. That's what I'm talking about. That's why you my brother. And that's a practice piece. <laughs> That is not a yeah. practice. Well, you know, when, when my wife that, said keep that, it, I began to work on it. Yeah. And and that's the thing about it, man. Um, I think that piece sums up what this is about. When mm-hmm. you talk about when they look back at this time, you know, that, you know, mm-hmm. the things that we did looking past the, you know, the electronic maelstrom, you know, that we look for hope. When it went, I mean, that is a legacy. Right. People don't understand that legacy is everything you leave behind. And so right. a lot of times when we think legacy, we think our personal contribution that we will be remembered for. Mm-hmm. For me, and especially as a clinician, 
what I look at is the part that you imparted on someone else that became part mm-hmm. of their personality or their cosmology that made the world better. Mm. And that's what I think that that poem represents. I mean, you know, I sit down in front of people talking and the stuff that they said that they got from their people and they don't actually say it, but you know it from their conversation is like, wow. And they don't attribute it to their people. They're just like, this is just the way I am. Like, no, that's the way you were taught to be, either mm-hmm. through example or or through experience. And mm. so I, I think that that is perfect, you know, and where that, you know, leave a legacy, not only of your work, but most of all of an example of life and and living it to its fullest that not, is not necessarily going to be attributed to you, but will actually impact somebody's life that will impact somebody's life that will impact somebody's life and that can be carried on to generations because in the yeah, end I, I, I feel you on that man I feel you on that. I mean we have to I think every day we have to get up and make a decision as to whether we're going to move through this world as a healing agent or as a disease you know and yeah. um, and, 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 and what and, and what does it demand of us you know what? What does it demand of us to to do either? You know, um, and it's it's a serious thing. This this work of 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 humanity. <laughs> you know, this this constant yeah. tinkering with 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 this um, with this machine. You know, and and what is it that we need to unlearn? You know, um, like for myself. You know, you know, um, I've had to ask and say. You know. I don't have the right, really, the moral right to expect, let's just say, um, for people not to be racist toward me if I'm being sexist toward someone else. You know? Um, mm-hmm. it, 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 really, it really is a constant saying, you know, what, what do you deserve? And and often what we deserve is what we give, you know, and so and so it's denaturing the mind, de- you know, from 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 so much of of the negative that that we've been that that not only have we been taught, but that you know, being a human being, you know, is is just it's just living, and so and so we just we just walk around with all of this inherited stuff and all of the stuff that we also just find and. And it's a difficult thing to 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 get through that. And um, I think Cornell West said, many of us we just become well adjusted to a maladjusted situation. You know, I, we basically just learn, I, I, we we learn to walk we we learn to walk with a limp. <laughs> yes, physical and spiritual. Yeah, yes, yeah. yeah. You know? And so, so um. So we oh, we down to the eight-minute mark. Huh? Yeah, he's still there. He's still there. Chilling. Okay. Oh, yeah, Listen. I'm just – I'm I'm, you know, I'm, we here, lost I'm again. Li- no, I'm here. I'm listening, and I'm just like, yeah, bro. That's – I – yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. But we're we're in that time. We're in the last eight minutes of the show. So this is the time where we get to leave our – um. Our final words, lasting impressions, or whatever we got to say. Basically, we get two minutes apiece, and then we get to the outro. 
So, um, Red, since you're the guest, you go first. You know, make sure you get your time. Um, and, and you said a lot, and um, I appreciate it. You appreciate the work. So, um, in, in summarization, like thinking of the topic, what we've talked about, you know, what would you say you would want people to take away from this or just what do you want to say in closing? You know, it is really on you. Um, well, I think much of it I've probably already said, you know, um, but, you know, again, you know, make a decision every day to be a little bit better. Um, think about what it is that we've inherited and, and how much of that either serves or severs, right? What serves us in our march toward being better human beings and being better to each other and what severs us away from that goal, right? I would say ignore any narrative, whether it's spoken from within or without, that, that asks us to, to dehumanize another, another person because that's a legacy that we pass on, the, the legacy of dehumanization. And let us not think that, that because we've been the products of dehumanization that we cannot dehumanize because we can and we will and we do, right? Um, the understanding that there's, that there's no, no depth of human depravity that any of us are incapable of, but that there's also no, no um, meteoric rise that is also barred from us as well. Panoply of, of, of human experience is ours, right? As well as the whole panoply of human knowledge. And that's something that is our legacy. Word. Gypsy? I can't say it no better than that. <laughs> that's, that's, that's it right there. If you, uh, if, uh, if you ain't got it from that, then you got a hole in your soul, brother. I mean, ain't nothing else left, left for me to say. I can't, I, you know, he said it best and he said it all. <laughs> so, um, yeah, man. First of all, I'd like to just thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for sharing your work. You know, I like picking your Thank you, too, for inviting me, man. Yeah, man. Always. And if you ever want to just come in and, like, you know, bum rush the show and co-host, we on here every Monday, <laughs> you know, 6, 6, 6 um, Pacific, 9 p.m., and, and we get it in, especially depending on the subject matter. So, <laughs> so you always <laughs> welcome, but... um. I, I want to just like to thank you for your input. And then, like Gipsy said, you know, it was well stated. And I, I would just always affirm that inside of what you were saying is also it's your choice. We we talk like people mm -hmm. make us do something, but that's what mm -hmm. I call the, the lexicon of lo lost slavery and servitude. What we do is mm -hmm. we externalize and we we actually create this illusion that our choices are not our own. Mm. Our choices are our own and our responses. What happens to you might not be your choice, but how you respond to it and what you do mm -hmm. with it is always your choice. No one makes you do anything. Like, you know, I said with Colimbo, you know, they end up wiping them out. And people are like, well, they did. It's like, well, they live true to their creed. They said, well, there was no fear of slavery. 
I mean, with no fear of death, there is no slavery. So either we're going to be alive or we're going to be dead, but we won't be enslaved. But a lot of us, we don't consider some things choices because we don't like how they sit with us. Like, you know, I want to keep, you know, my principles, but I don't want to live in a, live in a cardboard box or a one-room apartment. You know, I want to keep my principles, but I don't want to live to a point where I can't financially do everything I want to. And what we do is we don't consider the lesser option an option because it doesn't appeal to us. And if you never consider the lesser option sometimes as, you know, a, a small token to dedicate to what you believe in, I mean, you always going to live for somebody else. So take what Red said, but understand it's not something that's forced on you. It's all your choice. And the legacy you live, leave should be based off of what you want to leave behind. You know, there's a healthy narcissism. I want to leave this behind. But it also should be, you know, as I was always taught that, you know, you're the next link in the chain of life, you know, something that's going to increase or at least maintain the strength of the chain and make sure that people who come after you are going to be better off for it. And, you know, for me, that's the key to legacy. It's the betterment of the people you leaving it to. So it's not necessarily what it's about or who it's about. It's who does it help and how does it help? And, and, and just leave it like that. You know what I'm saying? And yeah. that's it. So next week we got Yana Johnson on, and Yana is one of the baddest economic minds, period. And she's a sister. And when I say baddest, I mean literally in reading her bio, there's only like maybe, I think, like maybe 100 people in the country who can do what she does economically as far as being licensed and trained. And, you know, she's been on Wall Street and everything else. So we're going to talk about how to practically leave a financial legacy. And we're not talking about if you got a million dollars, anything. We're going to talk about real-life stuff that you can do to start, you know, if not giving but teaching a financial literacy and leaving a financial legacy for us to work with. And so with that, you know, we we always about, you know, the next level. You can replay this, share it with somebody. And, you know, in the words of that great uh, prophet Sammy Davis, keep your eye on the sparrow. Take us out, Gypsy.
Yeah, I messed the bread up. I, I cooked it, but then when I cut it, it came down. You see what I'm saying? <laughs> 